Testing. Testing. Yeah. Testing. Coming through. Good.
Marlo, sound check. Marlo, can you hear me? Hey, good evening. I can hear you. Sounds good. I'll put you back on mute. Terry Williams, sound check. Can you hear me? All right. We have to speak up just a little bit more so your mic can come in or or something. One more time. Sound check. Terry? All right. We'll take that. All righty. Mark Jones. Mark, how you doing, man? Can you hear me? Sound check. Loud and clear. How you doing? Oh, what a pleasure. What a pleasure. We're going to get started in about uh, 7.57 tonight because we're going to do our moment of silence for the third week in a row. And uh, we'll be ready to go. So we'll listen to the music and then we'll be ready to go. All right now. Looks like James is coming on too. Uh-oh. All right, James, can you hear me? Yes, I can. All righty. Sounds good. Uh, I know you're traveling, but uh, we'll keep you in as long as we can. All right, now. <clears throat>
9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Good evening and welcome to another show. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. Before we introduce our special guest and co-host tonight, again, we have to take 20 to 30 seconds of silence. Last week, tornadoes. Week before, shooting victims, children in a school in Nashville, Tennessee. And this morning, employees at a bank in Louisville, Kentucky. Let's take 20 seconds of silence. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me introduce our special guest tonight. We have with us a co-host. First, we're going to start with the home team. I'll let you unmike. Tell them hello. Dr. Marlo Kemp. Good evening, everyone. All righty. And uh, he's in transit tonight, but he's managed to get online with us. And we hope we can stay with us the whole show. None other than Mr. Jim Wardell. Jim, tell him hello. All right, let's see what Jim can get on in here. All right, we also have back with us, she's been a guest before. Oh, my mic she calls herself, sorry. Jim. All right, I know you're in transit, tell everybody hello. Hello. All righty, all righty. Now, she's been with us before as a guest and um, we know her as the triple threat. She's a scientist, entrepreneur, but also a former professional basketball player and All-American from Virginia Tech, none other than soon to be doctoral candidate, Dr. Terry Williams. Unmic and tell him hello, Terry. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, how you doing? And then we have with us tonight, such an honor. You hear us talk about him a lot on this show. He is the reason that this show exists. We started out on Mark Jones and Friends, you hear our advertisement at the end of every show. And it's because of the opportunity given by Mark, Jim, and the rest of the crew that the Cliff Burton Friends show and this platform exists. So we welcome the night for helping us co-host. Let's give it up for Mr. Mark Jones. Tell him hello, Mark. Got unmiked there. <laughs> I'll unmike. Tell him hello, hello Mark. Nation. Hello, everybody. Can you <laughs> What an honor, Mark. Yeah, I appreciate What an honor you. to have you with us tonight, man. Thank you very much. Always All righty. All righty. We're going to come back to you. Now, our Women of the Month. Let's continue on. Last week, we introduced to her, Miss Alice Marie Coachman. Full name, Alice Coachman Davis. That's the birth name I said first. And we know she was born in Albany, Georgia, November 9, 1923. She died July 14th. 2014. What makes us special? Let's talk about our athletic career this week. Prior to arriving at Tuskegee Preparatory School, Coachman completed, competed in the Amherst Athletic Union's Women's National Championships, breaking the college and national high school jump records while competing barefoot. Her unusual jumping style was a combination of straight jumping and Western roll techniques. Coachman dominated the AAU Outdoor High Jump Championship from 1939 through 1938, 
winning 10 national championships in a row. In addition to a high jump accomplishment, she won national championships in the 50-meter dash, the 100-meter dash, and with the 400-meter relay team as a student at Tuskegee Institute. During the same period of time, Coachman won three conference championships playing as a guard on the Tuskegee women's basketball team. Despite being in her prime, Coachman was unable to compete in the 1940 and 1944 Olympic Games as they were canceled because of World War II. In the opinion of one sports writer, Eric Williams, had she completed and competed in those canceled Olympics, we were probably talking about her as the number one female athlete of all time. Coachman's first opportunity to compete on the global stage was during the 1948 Olympic Games in London. She qualified for the U.S. Olympic team with a high jump of five feet, four inches, and breaking the previously held 16-year-old record by three-quarters of an inch. In the high jump finals of the 1948 Summer Olympics, Coachman five feet six and one-eighth inch on her first try. Her nearest rival, Great Britain's Dorothy Tyler, matched Coachman's jump but only on her second try. Therefore, making Coachman, according to those rules then, the Olympic gold medalist in athletics in 1948. Her medal was presented by King George VI. So, Marlo, what do you think about that? She was a legend. She was a legend. I mean, anytime you are presented with your medals by a king, uh, a Great Britain, and um, I mean, that's amazing. And then, I mean, just to even to compete, you know, during her, that time. And then um, back in the day, she, she was definitely the um, the number one legend in my book. Uh, right now, thanks for bringing her to the forefront because, I mean, we would have never known about her. I mean, twelve years, just, yeah, twelve years before Wilma Rudolph won her gold in nineteen sixty. Terry, what do you think? I know you love track and field. I do love you gotta track unmute. and field. Uh-huh. Um, honestly, the thing that is first and foremost in my mind at the moment, and I apologize for you know taking a left turn here is the 10.57 run by Shakari Richardson in the 100 meter dash recently. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a powerhouse and I know that there's been some controversy in her past, but I think that she's got her head on straight and she's super focused for the world title. And I think that she's really, you know, putting the steps literally forward on the track to make sure that she sees that happen this year. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Ms. Coachman? Phenomenal athlete, phenomenal person. I mean, these individuals were not um, prevalent or prominent when I was growing up, but it's just been a pleasure to learn about their athletic prowess and the, the human beings that they are through this show. Absolutely. Mark. Miss Alice Coachman. I bet you didn't know about her before tonight. What do you think, Mark? Let me unmute uh, you. What do you think, these Mark? These people are pioneers and they're yes. They're, they set the tone for the world and they show the world what African Americans and black people can do. Uh, when they put their mind to it. And these people were, were they were the first. They didn't have people to follow. They were the first. 
doing these things. And you know how hard it is to be second and follow somebody. But when you're setting the trend, it's difficult. And that just shows how much dedication and vision these people have besides their natural athletic ability. They've got natural athletic ability and they tarnish, harness it and they turn themselves into great athletes and great people. So, you know, the kudos to her for setting um, um, the standard. Alice Coachman, for sure. Let's give her another hand. All righty. Now, some more great things are happening. Fisk University gymnastics team, they ended their inaugural season on a high note this past weekend at the USAG Nationals in Texas. Five of the Lady Bulldogs went there, and Morgan Price, who was the number one recruit this year, scored a 9.9, almost perfect, in the floor exercise. Let me give you the other names of the five. Aaliyah Reed Hammond, Liberty Marvel, Zyla Coleman, and there's one more that they're not mentioning. But these young ladies have done a great job in putting gymnastics and HBCUs on the map and putting Fisk University on the map. I think they've been the biggest thing for Fisk University since the Jubilee Singers. But um, Coach Tarver has done a tremendous job, and we are just so proud of them. And uh, we just want to admonish them and, and all that they're doing for gymnastics. Uh, Talladega is starting a program, the second HBCU, next year because of them. And uh, we just want to say, again, thank you so much, Lady Bulldogs gymnastics team. Mark, I'm going to let you comment on that. Did you know they were on ESPN? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. They, they were... Thank you. They were on ESPN this weekend. They did a special on them and built up them being the first. And then they showed the girls uh, performing. I'll tell you, I didn't see one of them make a mistake. They were one of, they seemed to be able to compete with anybody. And that number one recruit, I guess, is the reason that they have a team. Uh, she always wanted to go to a black college, but no black college had a, had a uh, gymnastics team. Yeah. Her parents knew the neighbor down the street who happened to be a trustee. And, and, and then he said, I'll get it done. And he did, he was able to do it at Fisk University. Um, and that is it's one of the greatest things that's happened to Fisk in a long time. It gets us all kinds of recognition and notoriety, and it's just what the school needs. And thank you again for being pioneers at Fisk University's uh, ladies gymnastics team. And, and they're, not only are they, are they doing it, they're doing it at a high level. So hopefully they get some recruits and can take this on to a, a, keep it for years and go on to another level. Yeah, and Mark, they're all freshmen. So, imagine this kind of team next year. Now, they competed in the NAIA this year, being a part of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. And uh, so they weren't able to compete in the NCAA tournament this year. And yet, they did very well against many NCAA schools in head-to-head -head competition. Uh, Marlo, I know you went down to Rutgers and saw them live. Tell us the effect that you saw this team have on the amount of young African-American uh, girls that came out about for this meet. Uh, it was a tremendous experience. Let's talk about that, Marlo. It was. It was. Um, we went to see them uh, perform here in uh, at Rutgers. 
um, it was just amazing just to see the amount of young ladies and, you know, especially the um, African-American young girls that were there to support them. They had their signs and um, it was just wonderful just to see them and the girls, their faces, and they were rooting them on and dancing and, you know, just kind of imitating them in the stands. Um, and you could tell that it really help to motivate the gymnasts too when they looked in the stands you know they just saw a lot of young ladies there as well as the alumni and um you know i'm i guess i could say i'm, I'm partially alumni since i'm like right down the went went through right down the street and and kind of hung hung down at on fist campus so i'm just i'll say i'm a, a, just an honorary alum absolutely <laughs> but, was um it was it was wonderful to see them and those girls they they hung with the d1 you know schools i mean they did not it did not face them you know that they um that this was their first year you could not tell because they they were awesome they were amazing yeah. and it yeah. was really good to see the young ladies well the the little girls that were like really excited you know to see them and, and watch them perform Sure. And uh, Jim has put in the chat because he's having a lot of noise in the background. The Talladega uh, getting a team next year, that would be a great rival. When they go against Fisk, the first two HBCU gymnastics teams, that'll be something to look forward to. Let's move on to basketball. Move on to basketball. Norfolk State women's basketball team, they lost to uh, Dawn Staley, South Carolina in the first round of the Division I NCAA playoffs but they were the MEAC champions. They received a, a, a voting or ranking on the top 25. They're number 24 in Division I mid-major schools. They finished in the top at 24 in the polls. Also, the coach, uh, Victor, Larry Vickers, excuse me, was selected the HBCU National Coach of the Year by Box Toro. And Camille Downs and Deja Francis were named HBCU Box Toro All-Americans. And it's the first time that they won the MEAC championship in 21 years. So go Norfolk State Spartans. Good work. Yay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, we don't talk about much, but could you imagine college? basketball, football, or anything without the cheerleaders. There's some other history that was made this past weekend. In the National Cheerleading Championship of hundreds of Division I schools, Texas University cheerleader from SWAC Conference came away with first place, first time in 75 years of the competition that a HBCU won the competition and the first time they had that many teams. There were 13 HBCU chilling squads that entered it. So go Texas Southern. Wow. Terry, what do you think, Terry? Yeah, um, I think it's fantastic. I mean, we all know, especially on those away games, having some people that are in the stands rooting for you is really, really huge. I know that for, you know, cheerleading championships, these are real athletes that are out there 
making sure that the home team, away team, whoever their team is, has some support from the crowd. You can't take away the six man, whether the fans are there or not, the cheerleaders are there and they're doing their thing. So big ups to the cheerleading, uh, the cheerleading squads all over. And second thing, they're fantastic to watch. The stunts that they're able to do these days are just absolutely incredible. And they bring so much dynamic to the game, especially during timeouts and basketball games or, you know, during pauses in any um, of the other types of sports that are being played. But, you know, they're here to stay. Fantastic athletes and athletes that also don't forget it's, you know, gymnastic and ballet and strength components that are, are you know, uh, <laughs> that comprise this whole thing and viral um, episodes with the mascots when they get involved. So super important to, you know, any sport, definitely the six man award in the sport of basketball from the Virginia Tech squad when I was playing in college, got to keep them in the conversation. All righty. And before we go to commercial break, uh, well, Marlo, I'm going to let you speak because Texas Southern University and Marlo went to Tennessee State University. They call them the other TSU. But uh, so I'm going to let you say a word. But before Marlo, we want to also welcome to the show. She was here last week with us. This University Basketball Hall of Famer, Renee Spencer, is also listening on the audience tonight. So, Marlo. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you something about those letters T, S, U, and greatness. <laughs> <laughs> But that that is that is wonderful. Um, I didn't even realize. I mean, I knew that it was, you know, of course, a national um, title for um, cheerleading, but I didn't realize that they were actually, you know, um, participating. Um, so I think it's awesome. They went out and showed every, you know, showed the, the world, the country, not so much the world, but the country, you know, that. Um, you know what they are made of so and as terry said you definitely cannot count them out because they are definitely athletes uh, for sure with everything that they actually have to do and they you know pretty much um have to make sure that they are conditioned and you know can keep the crowd going um you know and, and the team motivated you know in those times when they are uh, tired as well so um way to go tsu texas southern all righty. We're going to take a minute, commercial break, and we'll be right back. And uh, we'll talk about the WNBA draft that's going on, as well as the transfer portal updates. Uh, Terry Williams, Virginia Tech, was drafted in the 2004 WNBA draft. She's with us tonight. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Cliff Burger Friends, featuring the very best in women's athletics and HBCU sports. So now we're going to go to something that uh, Terry Williams is very familiar with. She was drafted out of Virginia Tech in 2004 to the WNBA draft. And tonight that is going to take place for a lot of special young ladies. So let's talk about this draft. And Terry, I want you to chime in first. Uh, number one pick, and they started at seven. It probably happened already. Aaliyah Boston, and she's going to the Indiana Fever, who were five and thirty-one last year. How does it feel, a big-time rookie like her, going into the WNBA? Talk to us, Terry. Well, it definitely means a lot to go to an established program like the Indiana Fever. Um, Tamika Catchings has already tweeted a welcome to Aaliyah Boston. Um, and I just think that from the perspective of Aaliyah going to a team that has a record, but that has a past of being a dominant team in the WNBA, she's got some a little bit of pressure on her shoulders, but also it kind of frees you up a little bit to be able to come in and, and make a mark. You mm -hmm. really don't have any big shoes to fill, particularly with a season that you know is a losing season by all um, by all accords. But you just want to go in and, and, and get a chemistry with your teammates. The wins will come with the chemistry, but you want to get comfortable with being in the league, the pace of the game, the strength of the game, and adjust to the taller, faster, stronger players. And, and once you can get that done, which I think should be Aaliyah's focus, then just you know playing with the freedom that being a dominant player affords you. And I think she's going to have a great time. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, and I know sometimes you tell me you're watching women's basketball, but Aaliyah Boston uh, or Jim, if we if if you can jump in, Jim, what do you see her game? Uh, if we had to figure out what has to improve in the WNBA as opposed to college, because she's a team player, but what do you see? <clears throat> well, anytime you're playing and moving up, <clears throat> you're going to have to play the game a little faster and make sure that you can keep up with the speed and make it faster, but make it slow down for you. And that's always something that she's going to have to do uh, moving up to the, to the next level. Um, you know, she's a, she's an outstanding player. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference, but just letting the game slow down for her so that she can see the floor and all that will help her a great deal. And always getting strong, stronger and work, working on one's quickness is what a player has to be to do when they get up to the next level. Mm -hmm. Jim? Probably improve, probably improve her range, mm -hmm. be able to shoot a little further out. That would be my yeah. guess. Last year, yeah, last year, and Tim, I can't remember her name, was the dominant inside player from Michigan, All-American. Remember, we talked about this on your show, Mark, and that she would have to no, learn how to face up Nas Hillman, and then have to learn to face the goal and also step out a little bit because uh, Leah Boston will face players now who are as big and as strong who have developed range. So that's one thing. Let's move on to one or two more picks here. Uh, Diamond Miller going to the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, Marilyn Turks, six foot three guard, averaged 19.8 points a game, 6.3 six rebounds um 
Terry, are you familiar with Diamond? Have you watched her much? Not too much, but, you know, there's been a lot of activity, and I, I think anyone that's 6'3", that's averaging 19 points per game, and I'm not sure if that's before, um, you know, the season was over and they went into the tournament. I thought she was more around the 15-point range. Mm -hmm. but if those are her numbers, I don't know what her rebound average is, but you can't ignore 6. that. 6.6. 6.6. That's going to make an impact immediately, especially at six foot three as an athletic. Um, I don't know what she plays. She might be an all-around player. That's going to be fantastic for any team. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll move to one more player. Projected uh, number three, the Dallas Wings. One of my favorite players, Haley Jones. Been watching her since she was a freshman. And um, six-one senior, handles the ball, playmaker, 13.3 uh, points, nine rebounds, 3.9 assists. A great player for Stanford. The question mark on her is, will she be able to develop the consistent three-point shooting? Uh, Marlo, what are your thoughts? You've seen Haley play a few times. Oh, yeah. I, I like Haley. I'm, I'm glad that she um, was definitely um, selected to go. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I think she um, – I think once she's developed her game a little more, um, she would definitely um, be an asset to their team. Um, and then, you know, just, um, of course, as uh, Mark and, and Jim was saying, um, you know, just to get in the gym and make sure that she can definitely square up with the other bigger um, ladies in the league. Um, I, I think she'll, I think she'll do good. Oh yeah, It'll be exciting to see how she does. Okay. All righty. Now we want to switch pivot shift. It seems like <clears throat> we went through this in football, now women and men's basketball, but let's talk about the women. The transfer portal, and there's some big news in the transfer portal. Team's best players are leaving in the season, and uh, programs change overnight, as LSU can testify. And so, Terry, I'm going to let you talk about probably the biggest story uh, of the player from the U.S. of Louisville who is uh, in the transfer portal, senior. What do you think, Terry? Tell us about the story. Yeah, I think Haley Von Liff did a phenomenal job out of Louisville at the guard position. She has entered the draft portal as a star um, for the Louisville team as a graduate. So she'll be joining a new team this year for the 2023-2024 season. Um, some people have been saying that she may join Caitlin Clark in Iowa, which will make things very interesting. There's a couple of other players, big names that are also in the transfer portal. Women's basketball in the NCAA has gotten very, very interesting for those who haven't caught on. Yeah, 10 million, 10 million viewers for the NCAA finals. So absolutely. All righty. Um, now, there's one more thing going on. The game within the game. I like to say the real game. So let me give it to you. These young ladies now, their NIL valuation in young men has gone through the roof this year, and definitely your value goes up in the NCAA tournament. And so I looked up the stats of the top Valuation, Miami guard Haley Cavender, after the tournament, 
$835,000. Miami guard Hannah Cavender, $835,000. The rapping guard Flo Flaugé Johnson, her NIL valuation, $654,000. Louisville guard Haley Van Lift, $480,000. Prior to starting the tournament, her value was $371,000. And now she's the highest paid at over $900,000. LSU forward, Angel Reese. So I'm going to go to Terry first because she went to the Sweet 16, but they didn't have NIL back in the day. So what do you think about this, Terry? <laughs> right. The NIL has really really changed the dynamic of power that the athletes have at this level, this amateur, so to speak, level. For the women, the NIL deals are much more impactful because they're moving into professional sports that don't pay nearly as much mm -hmm. as the value of the NIL deals um, in collegiate sports for women. It's going to be really interesting to see how the females of women's basketball choose to, or any sport really, choose to to digest this information. I think that straight out, it's going to encourage women's basketball players to stay. It's going to encourage women's basketball players to go where their value may be improved so that they can get these lucrative deals. I think that it's going to be different from sport to sport. I think that um, tennis players, soccer players, lacrosse players, it's going to be very different because the draw and the interest in those sports is very different. But I think from my experience um, with the WNBA, I think the highest paid WNBA player at the moment is 250000 mm -hmm. I don't even think I know what the draft, the number one draft pick is has a guaranteed pay, maybe of $175,000 per season. I don't know um, specifically, but I do know that whatever it is that Angel Reese is pulling in right now, I thought it was 350000 I didn't know oh. that she was just shy of a million dollars a oh, year. Oh, yeah, after the tournament. Yep. That's going to be absolutely – she has no reason – and I think she recently was interviewed and said as much. She has no reason to rush leaving college um, because she's making more money here than she would be <laughs> in the WNBA. And, I mean, I'm here for the bag. I really certainly am. <laughs> Marlo, your thoughts? Oh, it's going to be very interesting when, you know, their eligibility um, – you know, they're no longer eligible, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what type of decisions, you know, they will make um, after making so much money, um, you know, during this time, during their college years, um, you know, hopefully by then, you know, they, they would have, um, you know, banked as much money as they can. And then, especially if they decide to move on to the WNBA or another league, um, it, it's it's just going to be very interesting, you know, for them. Um, I wish I could go back now. <laughs> what I know now, <laughs> yes. yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, very right. interesting. Let me say this: I want to I want to pivot the ship before we go to commercial. Like Cliff, come on. I'd like to say that. Um, 
Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, and Candace Parker are starting to make money in the WNBA with commercials. So hopefully that app okay. is coming to the WNBA. Mm-hmm. All right. All righty. I want to pivot shift before we go to commercial because we have to begin our spring sports. They're just as important. In fact, the number, the highest viewed spring sport last year was women's softball. Okay. So let's go quick to the SWAT. I'm just going to go over the, the conference record. Alabama in the Eastern Division, 11 4. Florida AM, 8 4. Bethune Cookman, 9 4. Alabama AM, 6 6. Jackson State, 6 9. And Mississippi Valley State, 0 13. This is all in conference play. In the Western Division, Prairie View AM, 15 0. Grambling, 9 3. Texas Southern, 7. Southern, 4 8. Alcorn State, 4 8. Arkansas, Pine Bluff, 2 13. Now, the CI. Double A in conference play. Northern Division, Bowie State, 8 0. Virginia State, 2 0. Elizabeth City State, 3 3. Lincoln, out of PA, 3 5. Shaw, 3 5. Virginia Union, 0 2. The Southern Division, Fayetteville State, 5 3. Clapton, 5 2. Winston Salem State, um, 6 2. Johnson Smith, 3 5. In all, Augustine, 0 4. And Livingston College, 0 2. So softball has begun. They've played many more games than that, but those were their conference records. We're going to take a minute, and we're going to come right back with some of our men's sports, okay? Give us one minute. Burton friends, we're going to let um, Mark, I'll let you take the lead, you and Jim, and let's talk about the Masters Tournament of Golf. I felt so bad for Tiger Woods. Oh boy, limping around. Yeah. Mark, please out. It, by the way, let me tell you, Mark and Jim were both members of the Fisk University golf team back in the 80s, so this is the sport. Mark? Yeah, I'll tell you. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Um, it was sickening to see Tiger Woods limp around there. And it just showed me that, first of all, he has to have perfect conditions. He has plantar fasciitis now. And, uh, you know, his legs have just given him a lot of trouble after that accident. And it was before it was his back. The terrain, the topography is not suited for a guy that has back and leg problems at the Masters. He struggled through it, made the cut, made history. But you know, it might be time for him to hang it up for good. Go to the senior tour, get ready for the senior tour. Seriously, and uh, do his best. We don't want him to hurt himself and for, for life. And uh, you know, people think golf is an easy sport, but it is, it does damage your back. And you gotta be in shape to do that walking. But John Rahm, whose name is John Ram Rodriguez, and he's, he's uh, from Spain, 
was like the third um, person from Spain to win the Masters. So they're happy in in Spain right now. Now he, um, you know, those were grueling conditions that he played in. It was raining, it was cold, trees were falling because it had rained so much and it was tough until the last, to the last day. And uh, he was able to, to, to muster up the, one of the best rounds uh, ever on the, uh, the last day and hold his strength. And he took, um, from, he took a fight from Kepka, Bruce Kepka, and old man, uh, what's the old man's name? Uh, it escapes me right now, but he, Phil, from, Phil. Yeah, Phil Mickelson. Yeah. And he was able to take a challenge from him. Phil Mickelson shot seven under on the last day, the last 18 holes, and that was remarkable. But it was a good, all in all, it was a good um, Masters, very competitive. And, uh, you know, hey, it's over with and on to the PGA in May. Yeah, Mark, I want, I want to ask you something uh, for myself and our audience, education-wise. How has this, um, the new Saudi League, the Saudi Arabia League, affected the talent pool? for the Masters uh, and explain to our audience what this competition is with the new Saudi Arabian League and that's tracked with some of our professional golfers. Well, Saudi Arabian League is the Live, Live, uh, Live Golf League and they are paying astronomical uh, fees for players to play for them. $200 million, $100 million, $300 million just to play. And they only had last year about eight events that they played in, and they they play a different style. They play um, shotgun start, meaning everybody starts at the same time at different holes, and um, it is not it is not the same golf. That's why you were I was surprised to see Phil Mickelson do so well because you know you doubted that people that were on the live, on the live tour like uh, Phil Mickelson is. Would have a, a tough time because it wasn't that grinding kind of golf where they all started at the first hole and they went they went through the the uh, thing. But he did well, and it's it it neither tour is doing well in my estimation. Now this is my opinion, but I think that the uh, the um, the PGA tour has a lack of um, talent on the tour, and you can see that they, if you watch the if you watch the tour now on regular tournament dates. They don't show they don't show the, the the gallery much because the galleries are down because the players the top notch players aren't there yet right now they don't play they they've been banned from the PGA they can't play there and um, the the guys that left for the money I think they miss it but the PGA is hurting now they will I'm sure they'll resurrect themselves as soon as the the players from and the, that are playing with them establish themselves and make a name for themselves. But right now, I think everybody's hurting. It's not good for golf. Right. It's good, maybe good for those uh, 30 or 40 people that left because they're all, they've all made um, life-changing wages by going on going to the live tournament uh, system, but it's, uh, it's not the same. All right. Jim, weigh in for us. Still eventually merge like the ABA and NBA. Yes. I said I think they'll eventually merge like the ABA and NBA, NFL and, and the uh, 
how you make them merge. AFL. They have I have one more question. I have one more question. I have one more question. I read an article. Uh oh, I'm a I'm a mute Jim. You got a background. Um, Mark, why don't you take this one? I read an article that said, "Where are the black caddies?" I just read it this weekend. That it seems to be a disappearance of the black caddies in golf who make good money. And can you kind of expand on that for us, Mark? Because it seems to be an absence now. Yeah, well, they're not letting, you know, people are choosing their own caddies. And it used to be that the Masters, you had to use the caddies that were at the Masters. And then, and then I guess it was in the, in the 80s, they had a, a problem. And the guy, one guy said, well, can I use my own caddy? Because they, they had a shortage of caddies or something. Can't remember exactly. And they let the guys use them use them and then next thing you know black caddies are out of the business black caddies made a lot of money or made money um as black caddies and now these now folks are using their friends or people they know and there are no black golfers anymore so um you know they didn't have the proliferation of golfers like we thought when tiger became uh, a, a great pro so since there's no golfers people tend to let people carry their bag that they're comfortable with there are no there are no black caddies uh, because it was in old days it was thought of as something demeaning for the white player to be have a, a be a, a caddy but not now they make what five percent of the yeah. of the golfers um, yearly uh, take and yeah. that could be significant if you were with Tiger in the old days you were, you became a millionaire. If you're with this guy, John Rahm, you're a millionaire. And, uh, you know. Marlo, jump on in. Marlo, yeah. I know you want yeah, to say I'm, something. You know, I'm just waiting. I was, because <laughs> uh, I, was, I was talking to my mom about this, and she was saying, um, you know, of course, um, back in the, you know, day that that's all, of course, that's all you saw were the black caddies. And um, cause my mom, she's, she was a golfer too. I mean, she of course didn't play professional, but um, she played a little bit. And, um, but you know, she said, that's really, that's who you saw were the black caddies. And it, like Mark said, it's just a shame that, you know, that you just don't see um you know are people out there um, anymore not even as a player um and, and definitely not you know being a caddy so mm. same thing with black jockeys they you remember you can yeah. see all the jockeys on there that exactly. were people, people's lawn <clears throat> they got rid of them too and that was a money maker for for black people wow wow all righty one more thing let's talk a little nba we'll go to break and then we want to come back and talk about what's going on in Tennessee, all righty, with lawmakers. All righty. So the NBA, the playoffs. And tonight, we're just going to talk about this play-in bracket and explain it to our audience. So the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th place teams in the Eastern and Western conference, Conferences, respectively, have a tournament to play into the NBA playoffs and get the eighth seed. Mark, can you kind of give us some insight or Jim on how that works? Well, I think you just described it well. Um, okay. 
Jim, Jim, go ahead and if you see any differences from what he said, go ahead. Seven, seven plays, eight. And the winner of that game is in automatically. Nine plays, ten. The loser is out. And the winner <coughs> plays the loser of the seven, eight game. And then the winner of that game is in eighth place, whereas the winner of the first game is in seventh place. Right, so here we have the NBA tournament schedule, um, and Jim, I'm gonna meet you again because you got a little background there. I know you're on the road, but um, so here we have the NBA schedule before we go to break. Beginning April 11th tomorrow, in the East, Atlanta Hawks number eight will play the Miami Heat number seven in Game One. Game Two, Minnesota Timberwolves number eight will play Los Angeles. Now they're in the West. That's the West game. And then on April 12th, game one of the East, the Bulls, number 10, will play the Toronto Raptors, number nine. And in game two, Oklahoma City Thunder in the West, number 10, will play New Orleans Pelicans, number nine. So that's the way our playing games go. Next week, we'll follow up, see how things turned out, along with the rest of our playoff picture. We'll take a minute break, and then we want to come back we want to talk about this situation down in the state of Tennessee. All right. Thank you so much. Right, welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton. Friends, featuring the very best in women's athletics and HBC sports. But every now and then, we have to take time out for the bigger game of life. And uh, if you're in our audience, uh, Renee, anyone else, we need you to type in the chat. Uh, Jim, I'm asking to type in the chat. We'll read everything. But um, this past weekend, in the lawmaking house chamber down in Tennessee. Two, three, well, three young protesters who were part of the chamber stood up against guns, protesting against guns in relation to the murder of the children at the Covenant Elementary School two years ago, two weeks ago. And uh, in doing so, the Republicans voted to dis- expel these two young African-American men, Justin Jones and Justin J. Pearson, one from Fisk University, Jones, and another graduate of Howard University, 
The third person that stood up with them in protest was a white woman, Gloria Johnson. And she was not, or they did not vote to expel her. I understand as of today, Justin Jones has been reinstated back into the house. Thank you. That's a great thing. Uh, let's give that a clap at least. <clears throat> Battle's not over. And I understand Justin J. Pearson, who's from Shelby County, they will be voting to reinstate him. But the whole incident, Mark, uh, your attorney, um, James, I'm going to let you unmute next. Marlon, by the way, we want to thank, we want to thank Terry Williams. She had to leave. We want to thank you for coming on the show. Mark, give us your thoughts on that. And anybody wants to write <clears throat> into the chat, let's go. Well, our buddy Bill Burton, William Burton, did some research and, and uh, said that they were going to reinstate both people and in Nashville would reinstate uh, Jones first. But what I'm afraid of, these people don't pay attention to the law. And do they have to, you know, nothing is, is written in stone that they have to obey the law. And they that means that if they, if they, if they don't, they, they may reinstate him and say, you know, Nashville say and, and Memphis say, these are the two representatives we want. We're sending them back. We did, we did it. We followed the rules and we've done it. But who's to say that they're going to seek these two gentlemen? More to come on this. And um, it was, you know, it, it was wrong from the start. But again, who's to say that they're going to follow the law obey the law in Tennessee. It's, it was a kind of a lawless gesture in the first place. And it gave Fisk University a lot of notoriety. My daughter who goes to Fisk was able to go to the chapel, the Fisk chapel, and hear the uh, vice president speak on the matter. And uh, it was reminiscent of what happened and the way that people were there of the old civil rights days. And this seems like this is, you know, leaders bubble up. You don't pick them and nobody waves their hand and says, I'm your leader. They bubble up. And now these two guys may be on the forefront of the new civil rights movement that we're seeing that we better be fighting. If you don't wake up and smell the coffee, you know that there, there is a new movement needed. And these guys may be catapulted into the, into the leadership role. And I think they're ready for it. You know, uh, Martin Luther King was young and, you know, we need help. We need leadership to make sure that, these things that are happening to happening to us that we see them that we that we know how we have a build a strategy to fight them because they're not uh, they're they're kind of covert things are happening to us and they're covert and we need leadership that and spokespeople that can be out there to help us understand and hear and what's going on while the rest of us are doing our daily work we need we need somebody watching and minding our backs and these two gentlemen may be catapulted into that position amen i know marlo you're coming in i just want to read one thing in the chat from james we need to put out the name of the convicted child molester who is the senator now wow marlo go and jump in yeah i think that that's what um they were mentioning too um, one of their arguments when they were discussing um prior to them being um expelled 
But I just wanted to um, add, you're absolutely right, Mark. I totally agree uh, with what you're saying because, um, well, first of all, it seems like they totally, totally forgot the legislature, uh, totally forgot the whole purpose and why the, why people were protesting or is it that they just didn't care? You know, you had six um, people that was actually killed um, you know, and, and the the students were actually protesting, as we all know, uh, you know, under for the, the gun laws. And it seemed like they just totally forgot about that and was just so hung up on the three lawmakers um, that went along with the protests. And, you know, it, and, and they were more concerned about them being expelled than what the bigger issue was. One of the things that I've noticed, and Mark, you said it, is that things are becoming more covert. And uh-oh, these institutions are feeling more emboldened to do this. And you just, I'll bring in, Jim. I'll bring in. And, uh, and I look at why is it that these lawmakers are fighting so hard against the gun, getting rid of it? controlling it. It's money, right? The NRA, it's money. They don't mind losing a few as long as it's not their own, but it's money. And so I think that we have to, in addition to our political fight, have to have an agenda of financial fight for those who are becoming victims, which are disproportionately Black, low-income whites, and even now, as you see in the suburbs. So my thing is, what happens, I'm just going to give you a crazy scenario, that when you get these lawmakers who feel this emboldened to do that, those who are affected on the other side affect the economy in magnitude such that those in the economy will come down so hard on the lawmakers who are doing this that they'll change their view. That's the way change, way change happens. It happened with the park, with the bus, and it will happen today. Let me give you an example. If all those who oppose these gun laws that won't change decided to remove their money from banks that support the politicians that vote for the gun laws, you don't have to worry about calling in. The bank owners will be calling the politicians because they get big money. See, we have to affect the economy because the reason they fight for these guns and let them go is because of economic as well. So we have to put the financial behind the political, and that's kind of the one-two punch. That's my opinion. Jim, will you try to jump in? Um, luckily today, the will of 600,000 people superseded the will of a hundred members of the Congress. But, you know, I think you might be looking at a boycott of travel to Tennessee. You're going to hurt them where the pocket is. Mm-hmm. There you honest. go. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with you, Jim. We have to hit people in the pocket uh, because of the pocket battle. Mark? Yeah, but that means you can't go to the fist homecoming. And and you can't go to the, the to the whatever we do at fifth to the graduation 
do are people ready to make that sacrifice? Do they see that that sacrifice must be made, or are we, or, or you know, that that takes a lot. And when when you are only twenty five percent of the population in Tennessee, they and and when they are changing the the makeup of the city councils so that they can have more control of that Nashville Metro Nashville City Council. What makes you think that they can't just change, not just change the law of how to seat another, the representatives if they're getting, if they're coming back and, and reinstate it? We have to be able to make uh, the sacrifices for, the, for them to see it. That takes huge sacrifices. And are we, even us, are we ready to do it? And are other people ready to do it? But with the right leadership, what these guys may be, they may be the leaders of tomorrow, of today. We might have that, but this is taking on this battle is, is more than a notion. And we've got to be ready for it because it's going to happen. And things like this are happening all over the country. Yeah. But, but you know, Mark. The, um, money, that, the money that we might have spent at hotels and eating, give that to Fisk. Give that to Fisk. Yeah. Well, your, your family has a civil rights background, and that's why you're thinking like this. You have the right mindset, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think, Mark, if there isn't any more incentive than to save our children from getting shot, there isn't any. See, when you look at this, what happened in Tennessee, this is not even a, just a Black Lives Matter thing. In fact, most of the people are white. This is a gun law safety thing. And, and so it's, a, it's, a, it's the rich and powerful who profit off these guns against those who most of the time are ending up on the other side of it. And I think if nothing will stimulate us to preventing seeing a child shot, nothing will. Marlo? Yeah, um, I think I think it's time for um, just the financial boycott, like um, like you guys mentioned, because we do just going back for homecoming and just different uh, events, the the classic, and you know, um, it, it and if we can do that, all it takes is just one time to get it started. Um, I've never experienced that um, just the whole time that I've went to school there, so. Um, we, I think it's time that we at least have to take a stand and, and if nothing else, just try to get it done. And like you said, they may be the leaders that we need to, to actually start this because it needs yeah. to be done. Mm -hmm. Jim said in the uh, in chat, they've been getting blowback from the public on this one, or we need to boycott Tennessee in the NFL. Uh, Nashville is heavy on tourism. Mm. Yeah. Something has to be. Something has to be done. Renee, mm -hmm. oh, she's telling us she likes the show. Thank you, Hall of Famer. All right now, <laughs> all righty. Well, <clears throat> it's been a great show. Uh, Mark, an honor. Jim, always, thanks for coming in from the road. Dr. Kim, coming through again, as always. And also, she's gone, she had to leave, but none other than Terry Williams. This Terry Williams, I want to give all of you a special hand 
Uh, go ahead, Mark. You have something yeah, to say? Yeah, we want you back on our show a couple of times a year, at least a couple of times, maybe even, you know, it's slow, things are slowing down. And uh, we'd love to have you. You've always got good insights and uh, you're provocative. So we want you back on Mark Jones and the Friends Show. On you Wednesday. got it. You got it. I definitely would do it. You know that for sure. You got it. You got it. Now, coming up <clears throat> next week, we have Mr. Roderick Strathers. He is the president of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. He's also the athletic director at Philander Smith. Young man, six years old, but under his guidance, Philander Smith, they have finished first and second in the conference in several areas. He's a tremendous leader. He works alongside Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes, who's the commissioner of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. And we are just delighted to have him. And he'll be coming on next week with us. The following week on the 24th, Coach Slack, Roderick Slack from Clark, Atlanta. He is the tennis coach. Remember, we want to educate and cover all sports. And they are in second place right now in the SIAC, the women's team in tennis. And uh, he's looking forward to coming on our show. And then the following week, so we have three in a row. Let's get ready. We have May 1st, none other than Miss. Tariq, Tamika Randall Slay. But I said Tamika Randall, she played for Coach Pat Head Summit 1998, one of the three Mikas. She started for the Vols, and she was a member of Coach Pat Head Summit's only undefeated national championship team. She's presently a coach at Winthrop College. She is so excited to come on our show, and we're going to be excited to have her. So, again, we look forward to the next few weeks on Cliff Burton Friends. Now, as always, before we leave, we want to make sure we recognize our sister, our parent station. You have a lot more sports, 48 hours from now, every Wednesday, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., 9, 10 a.m., WFDF. It's also can found on iHeart. Mark Jones, Jim, Jack, Reggie, Carl, Luther, and you heard I'm going to be coming back on there quite a bit. And till then, we want to say thank you to everybody for a great show, and we will see you back in about 168 hours from now. Thank you, Mark, Marlo, James, and Terry. All right. Thank you.